Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for the 10th episode of our podcast, Groundbreakers. On this podcast, we interview early stage founders and real estate investors to hear their stories of what led them to have success in their journey from zero to one. Today, I'm joined by McKinsey Lux, co-founder of RightIQ. RightIQ is a training software for the 10 million plus equestrians who regularly ride without a coach. Their platform offers on-demand and live listen-while-you-ride training the world's top coaches. Thanks so much for joining us, Kinsey. Very excited to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dom. Yeah. So would love to hear your story. You know, what were you doing before Ride IQ? What's your career journey been like? Yeah. So I am based in New York City and have been here for almost 12 years. And prior to Ride IQ, I was um, uh, on the real estate team at Blackstone. So big pivot from doing uh, being on a bond trading desk to working for a company or starting a company for horseback riders. Um, But my background originally was in horseback riding. So I grew up riding horses. That was like my full time thing up until I went to college in New York. And so really, it kind of felt right to go back to this to my roots and start a company in this community that I love. That's crazy uh, that you went from like, (laughs) Equestrian, horseback riding to bond trading, and you found yourself back full circle. Um, yeah, yeah. It was when I was leaving Blackstone, it was like I was telling my team, like, oh, they were like, what are you going to go do next? Like, which other fund are you going to go work for? And I was like, nope, I'm actually going to do a big life change and going to go start a company for horseback riders. And I think they were all pretty shocked, but you know, that's okay. It was, um, it was a great experience. Honestly, great, great way to start my career and really, um, really enjoyed my time there, even though I'm doing something very different now. I, I can imagine you're probably the first person at Blackstone to do this. So <laughs> I think that's fair are, to say. That lends itself to like, why do you launch RhinoQ? I know like what led you to realize like, this is the right moment for me to go back into the equestrian life and, and launch this company. Yeah, I think it's a probably a pretty common story where I was looking around at my job at um, Blackstone. It was like just trying to during the pandemic, a little bit post pandemic. Um, and I was I was kind of looking at my bosses, my bosses, bosses. And I was like, I really don't think I want their jobs. Um, and I think it's a feeling that a lot of people can relate to. And it was like, OK, well, what else am I going to do? And I and I started to kind of look at other other opportunities. And my sister, Jessa, and I were living under the same roof at the time because we were at home. It was the peak of the pandemic. And we started to kind of talk about the equestrian world and and all the ways that that world is prime for innovation, but really doesn't have a lot of focus of like the major athletics companies because it's a niche community and it has a high barrier to entry. And we got on the phone with a bunch of people from our network that we hadn't talked to in over a decade. And we would end all those conversations and be like, okay, well, who else can we talk to? Like, who have you, who in your barn family can we call next? And we were just having a, a lot of conversations to learn about what had changed in the decades since we were riders ourselves and wanting to just figure out kind of where, where, where the innovation would be the most valuable. And what we found was that it is in it is in pr- providing a better experience for riders when they're riding alone. So riders ride alone the majority of the time. They don't have a coach in the arena with them telling them what to do. And as you can imagine, as somebody who I'm sure has gone to the the gym alone or has tried to go for a run alone or do any physical activity alone, it can be a bit de- demoralizing. And so we set out to improve that experience. And that was kind of the the 
precipice for us starting Red IQ and me leaving Blackstone and Jessa leaving her job in um, graphic design in Denver. And that was kind of the whole the whole beginning of our whole startup story. I mean, I think it's a very productive way of using COVID time to figure out yourself and like what you want to do. For what it's worth, that was also my journey. I realized I was at Google at the time, realized I did not want to be a director and go up the ranks and led me to start Homebase. So I think yeah. very similar founder starts here. It's a good reason to like, it's a good thought to have, especially at this point in our career and like, be like, wait, like, I need to be self-aware here and realize that that's not the path I want because it's a, it's grueling to get there too. So it's not like it's like an easy path to, to become that director of Google or, or what have you. So I think it's a smart choice to make. Absolutely. That's why we're both here. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't change it. Not for anything in the world. Um, yeah. So how was it like building your MVP? So you had all these customer conversations. You really pinpointed, you know, the core issue in Equestrian and how you wanted to innovate. Like, what was it like getting your first product out to market? Yeah, we actually like the first thing that we did was YC Startup School. It's like this free offering that they offer through um, Y Combinator. And we like really much really ingested all of the resources they offer through that startup school. It's like a ton of videos and readings and whatnot. And the most important thing that we learned from that was build the scrappiest MVP possible and go to market. And so like that is what we did. I think we were but between like coming up with the idea of a ride IQ and having users actually using the product, it was less than 60 days. And granted those users were it was like it was so scrappy. Like we were on um we were using like podcast platform, basically a gated podcast platform to bring audio lessons to horseback riders. And all of them were test riders that we recruited via Facebook groups. And we were interacting with all of them every day via text and phone call and survey and email. And um that was a that was like the key point of our business because getting that MVP in front of them and just starting to take in data um, from our users about about their experience. It was how we were able to actually create the product that eventually, I mean, six months later, we went to market and like launched the market and became um, a real business. But that those like six months or so of having test writers using the MVP and giving us information was was so important. And one takeaway from that experience that was very unexpected was that all of the test riders became self-appointed ambassadors. So without us telling them to do so, they went to Facebook and they went to social media platforms. They went to their barns and they started talking about this product that they were testing. And as like beta users, they felt very inner circle. I mean, they were inner circle and they just decided they like took it upon themselves to share about their experience in experience beta testing run IQ and all of those interactions that they had on Facebook with uh, with other people who were their friends on Facebook or other Instagram, social media, um, ended up making our launch so, so like successful and effective because people had been hearing about it for months and had been like dying to get their hands on this thing that people were testing and they were hearing about but could, didn't have access to. And that was not, I mean, I would love to say that that was planned. That was not something that we like choreographed at all. It was just out of the goodness of the hearts of our, of our test writers. And, um, it all ended up just kind of falling into place in a, in a very like impressive and I don't know, great manner. You guys have done an amazing 
job building a really strong community and you sharing like how you even got to that. The beta tester piece, I think is genius. I think when you make people feel very exclusive to a product that you're launching in an area they feel very passionate about, which is clearly like this market and the people that are riding horses, you somehow built a community of very passionate people that really love what you're doing. One person even got a tattoo of Ride IQ, and I know you showed seven me that people, photo. Seven people, not just one person. <laughs> that is nuts. No, yeah, Kinsey, I think you and Jessa have done an amazing job building such a powerful community for Ride IQ. Um, how did you get there? I think that's a founder's dream, really building a community around their product that people are organically talking about it and somehow getting seven people to get tattoos in their body of literally your brand. Like, how did you do it? And how did you cultivate it? Yeah, so Jessa's background is in community building. That was what she did at the graphic design um, firm in Denver. And so she really came into this with a ton of knowledge about building community, especially in um, her focus was previously in kind of B2B type of work. But um, B2C, there's a lot of the same components. And one thing that she and I have like a one of our core principles in Rod IQ is that between us and between anybody who comes on our team, we want to make sure that when a when anybody interacts with Ride IQ, they walk away from the conversation with like, oh my gosh, I've never talked to anybody who is kinder in my life. Like, wow. Like, not even just like, oh, that was nice. It's like they, they want to like think to themselves or say out loud, like, holy moly, that person was so nice or so kind to me. And uh, so we've, and all of our interactions, we try to make sure that that is the case. And I think that that has created a really strong foundation of users who really care about us as people and the company that we're building because uh, we are it, because everyone has kind of, um, fostered this like community around it where now as a Ride IQ user, you are upheld to this level of kindness and now they're treating each other that way in a in a sport that can be a bit of, it can be lonely. Like you're doing it alone and you're going out there and you're trying to do your best. And a lot of our users are 30 to 50 year old women spread all around the world and just feeling like they have this support system of people who really care because we do general, genuinely care and we make sure to reflect that in the way that we interact with them, I think has just, it kind of, yeah, laid this foundation for, for people to have this like brand loyalty that I think we, we couldn't have predicted, but is, has been the absolute key to us retaining users and spreading the word because all of our growth to date has been organic. It's all been our users sharing it with their friends and their family and sharing it on social media. And it, um, that has been just like so pivotal in helping us get the business off the ground. That's awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of founders are very envious of companies that are able to do that because it's such a hard thing to do. And I love the point about kindness. I think every interaction I've had with you and Jessa, like I come away feeling like that. <laughs> so even outside of Equestrians and your users, like I think you make even your peers feel that, which I think just speaks to you both as founders. Um, <laughs> That's really nice. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can be pretty sarcastic. So I have a hard time believing that, but um, I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I genuinely mean that. And I think it's very apparent, just even like you were telling me the retention numbers you've had for Right IQ. Like, I don't think you would have that high of retention if you weren't genuinely like that. You can only keep a front for so long with your users. People eventually start to see who you really are. 
yeah, we really do care. And like, I mean, like we like we care probably too much. Like it, it, for a while, we had this Facebook community of all of our members. And um, Jess and I had to set a rule of like, we could only spend X like number of hours in that a week, because otherwise, you can just spend your whole day interacting with users and get kind of lost in it. Um, I can't even tell you. I mean, like the number of we have so many customer discovery phone calls as you do. And we just like live in customer discovery. And there's been a number of customer discovery phone calls where the person on the other side of the phone and others um, on the other side of the zoom like starts to cry because it's like this, this thing where like it means so much to them to have this community around them that like, I would have never gone, gone into this. I would have thought community would be an afterthought. And now we've learned that community is actually like the forefront of our offering. Like audio lessons is, is our, is our like actual offering. It's our product, but the community is what actually makes it valuable. I think. That's amazing. And it, and where does this community like interact typically? Is it on Facebook, Reddit? Like where do these conversations happen? Yeah. So interestingly enough, the equestrian world still very much so lives on Facebook. And despite the fact of that being like the most antiquated platform of all time for a business to host its community on, we really wanted to meet our users where they were, which they were already on Facebook and they're very comfortable with Facebook. And so our community right now lives on Facebook. And um, in the next iteration of our product, we definitely want to bring some of those community engagement features into the product itself and try to um, implement a, a bit more conversation happening actually within the Rad IQ software. But we also want to make sure that we don't, um, I don't know, don't try to bring the whole Facebook experience into our app because I've seen other people try to do that. And it's just, if people are going to Facebook for the purpose of interacting with their friends, it can be a bit a bit difficult to be like, no, now you just go and do that within the Rad IQ app. So we want to be really cognizant of that when we implement any new engagement fe- features that it doesn't kind of fall flat because it we have to be true to our user despite me not really being like a huge facebook user myself that's where our users like to be so i want to be um aware of that and kind of build towards that no it makes a lot of sense what have been some of the major challenges you face bringing right iq to life you've, you've showed a lot of the yeah. successes but i'm sure there's been challenges that you've had experience do you mind speaking more to those there for with every good day there's a bad day <laughs> So there's always there's always challenges. Um, I think one of the challenges challenges that Jessa and I um, have faced, especially in the last like 12 or so months is focus. I think it can be really easy to come up with a new idea like every day, like wake up in the morning and be like shower thoughts, like energize, like you have an idea and then you want to go and execute on it. And um, by doing that, it can feel like you're sprinting in circles and it can be like, wow, we're, we're, we're working so hard. Like we're working 24 hours a day. And yet we're actually not really getting anything done because we're so, we're so easily pulled off our path and, um, are always trying to chase the, the next good idea. And I think we have really reined that in, in the last four, three to four months. We've like, created a lot of structure around here is what we pursue kind of put like blinders on like that's a great idea write it down we'll come back to it and being really cognizant of how we're using our time because jessa is really focused on like customer acquisition and growth and it can be easy to make a list of 10 growth strategies to do at any given time but then you're doing 10 growth strategies not that well instead of right now what our new kind of approach is let's do one growth strategy really really well for the next three to six weeks and then like kind of analyze how that went, do like a quick 
postmortem and then move on to the next one. And like that, that I think creates a lot more, even just like in our day-to-day life as founders, it creates a lot more steadiness and I don't know, a lot less like feeling like we're rushing at all moments. And I think that's been a good learning. And it's something that I think a lot of founders have to learn is just how the importance of focus. Absolutely. Like prioritization, focus, so challenging because as you're trying to figure out like where's my PMF for this product, there's so many different directions you can go down and it's not always clear what's the right one. First of all, A, how did you figure out like we need to start prioritizing better? What came, what made you come to that realization? It seems like it was three or four months ago. And then B, what did you decide what you should be focusing on? Yeah, we came to that realization because we were real like we were working, I mean, seven days a week and just nonstop and being like, this isn't actually effective. Like we need to like take a second, take a breath. Like, has this been working? It like it clearly isn't. We're working so, so hard. And the um it's not being like necessarily reflected in the outcome for the business. And so we were like, let's completely do the opposite. Like, let's take a second like kind of go back to the beginning, define like our mission, vision, values. And we wrote out like a 50 page execution strategy, like kind of did like more day one work, but now two and a half years into the business. Um, so did it with like a more informed starting point. Um, and then from there, we were like, okay, well, let's prioritize these growth strategies. Let's prioritize this, like these operational updates and, um, kind of just figuring out how we're going to take the business from an MVP, like very kind of early stage business to a scalable company. And I just don't think it's, it's not like, it's great to be sprinting for a couple of years at early stage business, but it's just not scalable. So we had to really just have that like realization of like, okay, we need to, everything we do going forward, it doesn't need to necessarily be scalable, but it should be in the, in moving towards scalability, <laughs> like, um, cause otherwise, like we, we can't have enough people on the team to, to do everything otherwise. And there was Absolutely. a second part of that question that I don't think I answered. Yeah, no, mostly just what did you decide to focus on? Yeah. So, um, we decided, I mean, basically, as you said, there's not, there's no way of knowing what's the right thing to focus on. And so you have to just kind of start. And we just basically are taking like educated guesses as far as, we know this. So we think this is going to be the most effective. This has been our experience so far. Um, right now, what we're focusing on is partnerships. So like, it's kind of like B2B to C partnerships. We've had these contracts with large member organizations for years and have not had the, not devoted the time to fully leverage them. So Jessa is really devoting her time right now to leveraging one of those existing partnerships. And I think that could be just really valuable as like, as just a, as a relationship mechanism because these organizations have like hundreds of thousands of users or members and so that's just access to a very um very like great target customer for us and then um it's a good growth strategy a customer acquisition strategy and then she's also she and i kind of in conjunction right now are working on new product offerings so like as as you mentioned in our like quick one-liner for what right at q is we're offering both on-demand and live audio lessons for equestrians the live part is something that we're testing right now so we're gonna like start offering that in different capacities to people around the world and so that's something that like is has been a another thing that we're another focus but those are kind of our two big high high level focuses right now i see are are you still working seven days a week or have you pulled back a little bit 
definitely have pulled back because it's just not sustainable. And like that, like you could run yourself under the ground if you keep it up for too long. So we really try to keep it to five days a week and then working a couple hours on Saturday or Sunday. And it it makes the five days that you are working a lot more productive when you're not feeling like you're just like grinding at every given time. Yeah, we're the same way. We were working every day. I just am not built that way. Uh, yeah. If every single day feels the same, you start losing a sense of like where you are and what you're doing. And it makes yeah. it where every day is less productive. Totally. And you're just so like, and, and it's impossible to be creative when your brain is just like mush. And like, and like there was days where it's just like my brain is like made of oatmeal. <laughs> like I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. And it's like now if you like take a couple days here and there to just like live your life, you come back and you're just like re-energized and you have those ideas that are um, valuable. You have a new perspective. Like it can be really easy to just get like lost in the lost in the sauce for lack of better words <laughs> absolutely i would love yeah. that you're taking some more time for yourself i think that's definitely needed for sustainability in the long term so very glad to yeah hear that. likewise back at you uh, so i know you participated in tech stars at this time last year and i know that because we were both in the same program uh what was the experience like for you and would you recommend it for any other early stage founders to other also participate in the program yeah, I think my takeaway from Techstars is it was, I mean, it was a really, really hard experience, but I loved it. Like, I absolutely loved that, that kind of like super intensive 13 weeks, like was just that feeds into my personality. Like, I really like that level of intensity. I would say as far as my takeaways from it, I, I, I would, I would say that my personal takeaways outweighed my are the business takeaways. So like I think I I grew as a person immensely over those 3 months and I gained a whole new family and like the the friendships that we all created during that time are something that I would never tr- I wouldn't trade for anything. It was the bet like that was so much fun and having now these people that you can lean on as like fellow founders who are having the same highs and lows and can fully relate to what you're do like how you're feeling on any given day um it's it's just like invaluable like it's just like such a and like a, such an amazing resource to have and i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't trade that for anything i would say the business i mean it definitely it didn't hurt at all to participate in that but i'm not i i'm not necessarily sure of the the outcome for the business that we we got from it I'm sure there were there. I just like it was probably more intangible outcomes than like we came away from TechStars and raised a twenty million dollars seed round like that. It wasn't quite that, which I honestly didn't go in wanting that to be the case. So that is it was mission accomplished for us. But I think for anybody going into TechStars hoping they they get an obvious really easy fundraise at the end, I don't think that that's going to be the outcome unless you're building i mean unless your company warrants that in which case that's great and you probably maybe don't even need to participate in a program like that completely agree and we had very similar experiences with the program yeah yeah it was like i i i don't know i um yeah i did a business fraternity in college and i feel like it was kind of a similar experience but i loved that so much like i, I don't know i i it like you you learn a lot in a very short amount of time and it's like intense and grueling but you walk away from it feeling like you're on like a like a high like it's an adrenaline rush for 13 weeks it is also can agree that it was like one of the most challenging periods of my life but yeah at the end of it you're very happy you went through it and you're like i don't think i could do that again 
Yeah. <laughs> like, how did I do that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I almost think that's part of the point of it, though, is that they push you to such a limit that you realize, like, your limits are beyond what you thought they were. Because as a, as a startup founder, like, you almost need to you almost need to be willing to like go beyond your limits or something. I think like maybe, maybe I'm overthinking how, how hard they've thought about it, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. That was, that's on purpose. I think you're right. I think um, as founders, you already push yourself to do as much as you can with the limited amount of time you have. Like that's our biggest resource, really just time. Mm-hmm. And so for them to then give you all this additional material to do on top of like your already busy workload, it just really adds to that. So I thought they did, I, think they did a really good job in just making everyone feel like they were inundated with stuff they had to get done um they had different outcomes for different people and different businesses um but i think everyone felt the exact same intensity throughout the program Mm -hmm. as long as you lean in yeah you could say that about any accelerator totally switching gears a bit and switching talking more to the growth strategies you guys have been doing i know you guys are making a few big bets but i think historically you guys have done a really good job in building your initial audience a lot of it through word of mouth and I think a lot of people listening are also probably early stage founders always looking for continual growth strategies they can employ. Anything that you found that was quite beneficial for you as you're building your initial audience and any recommendations for people as they think of their own growth strategies? Yeah, I think kind of as like kind of as I mentioned before, I think that creating a lot of hype around the product prior to launch was some like was so so important to then have on launch day have like we i think we opened the like you could sign up at like 8 a.m or something and by 9 a.m there were like a hundred people had signed up and we're like holy moly like this is actually this is actually gonna work like you know you don't actually know until you start it but having like a wait list and really commute like heavily communicating with your user i think from a B2C perspective, at least, was really effective. Like, I think people felt very much like they knew what they were getting themselves into even prior to us being in the market and launching. And I think that was really important. And now we we still um, utilize that thought process, even though we're not like we're in the market, we're not relaunching. But like anytime we launch a new like product feature or... Um, if we like launch a new partnership or something, we try to do that same like lead up, get hype and engagement around it prior to actually opening up the hopefully the floodgates, um, because then it, it it ends up being a lot more exciting and the users a lot more engaged. Um, we in the same way, like anytime we do any sort of like big promotion or or try to get a lot of users to sign up like in a given month or whatever it is, we have found that like small, small ranges of allowing them to sign up like 48 hours even, or like in the next three days, it works really well. It works better for us at least than saying in the next like 30 days, because if it's 30 days, people will open that email and then they'll forget. <laughs> and they'll be like, Oh, I'll come back to this. Whereas if it's like, you have 12 hours, it's like, okay, I have to do this right now. Um, so stuff like that, like creating urgency has been really, really key. And then like, I mean, like, I can say all of that, but honestly, our growth has been so driven by our users. And that, that is by, that is, that is totally based on the community that Jessa has created and just making sure that our users feel like they have the power and they, they feel, um, a sense of like part of the family, part of the Red IQ barn family. And then they, they want to go share it. So creating a product that people really want to share I think is important as well. Absolutely. I mean, 
FOMO is very, very powerful uh, with yeah. building initial audiences. And so I think you, you guys have definitely done a really good job of doing that. Um, and it seems like you repeat it over and over for any sort of future product launches. So certainly try to. It's, <laughs> it's easier like, said than done. Yeah. Said than done. <laughs> Everything is easier said than done. <laughs> um so i guess last question for you here kinsey like looking back on just your journey you've been now doing this for a little bit over two years like any advice you wish you give yourself when you're first starting out knowing what you know now um like anything you would tackle differently things you wish you would have known um to save people time as they're starting their own founder journey uh it's like one thing that I would do again is just going to market super quickly. I think getting an MVP, even if it's like not good, like just get your product in front of people as soon as humanly possible and charge them money for it as soon as humanly possible. Um, so that's something that like anytime any of my friends are like, I kind of have an idea. I'm like, yeah, do it. But like start it next week. Like go and start charging people in seven days. I want like, and then you're going to start getting actually real information because a lot of people, even though they don't mean to, will tell you that they'll pay for something and they'll and they actually uh, they actually won't or they don't value it the same way that they think they do. Um, so that's something that I would repeat. Something that I would tell myself back at the beginning um, would just be to trust like your own instincts, uh, like more like take everyone else's advice into account. But you know your business better than anyone else and definitely stay true to that throughout this whole building process because kind of like you and I were just talking about this a bit before this call but like it can be really easy for other people to tell you things with conviction and to act like it's totally fact and they know better than you and that can be um, something that you experience very often as a startup founder and I think there there was a lot of times where I was like, oh, well, they must be right. And then it kind of distracted us for anywhere between a couple of hours to a couple of weeks. And so I really, really learned to like take in information and let it sit and then take away what I what I think is actually true to our business. And that that was a big learning learning process and something that I have had to learn, um, especially post Techstars. I can definitely attest to the second piece you called out. Uh... At some point, you get way too much advice from way too many advisors and friends, and then you can get lost with all the advice of like, I I don't know now what to do moving forward because I've gotten conflicting yeah. <laughs> advice. Yeah. So listen to totally. your gut and instinct, I think is key. And no one knows. Like, you, it doesn't matter who they are, if they're a billionaire or if they're just a random person on the street, no one knows the answer. And so you should just go and start trying things and and don't take anybody's um anybody's thoughts like they're set in stone absolutely well that's like all the questions i had for you kinsey thanks so thanks so much for coming on groundbreakers and sharing your story any closing remarks you want to share if people want to learn more about ride iq or learn more about you where should they go yeah absolutely go to ride-iq.com that's a, a good place to start to learn more about ride iq or we're on all social so, social media ride iq official um and you can find us there as well. And I mean, the only thing I'll only other thing I'll say is just you're the best, Dom. And I I love home base. I love what you guys are doing. And this was so much fun. Thanks so much, Kinsey. And thank you everyone for listening to the 10th episode of Groundbreakers. We drop episodes every two weeks and we will continue to have awesome guests like Kinsey share their story. Thanks again, Kinsey. Yeah, thank you.